So getting into the message today, I um, want to talk to you a little bit further about the whole uh, idea of the family recipe, uh, the family recipe. So today we're going to talk about laughter in the kitchen, laughter in the kitchen. Um, I, uh, you know, somewhere along the line, um, I, I picked up some, uh, uh, some marital advice. Um, you know, guys are always interested in you know, the more, shall we say, romantic side, amorous side of the, the marriage. So they pay attention when you talk about sex. And uh, somewhere along the line, some preacher said to me, good sex starts in the kitchen. I'm like, break that down for me because that could be weird. I don't know what you're talking about. And, uh, and so the whole conversation had to do with doing dishes together, preparing meals together, sharing in this idea of uh, the, you know, the kitchen being central to every other part of what goes on in the, in the marriage, in the family. And uh, so I, I want to talk to you today a little bit about this idea of laughter in the kitchen. Um, the, if you and I were to think in terms of um, what is necessary for uh, uh, any recipe to work, there are certain proportions of things, aren't there? You know, you don't want to have too much salt if it doesn't call for too much salt. You don't want to have too much sugar if it doesn't call for too much sugar. Proportions, um, recipes have everything to do with proportion and process. And so um, I, on Memorial Day, I brought in a little baggie that had a little bit of my sourdough starter in it. And uh, that sourdough starter is two or three months old now, and it's doing its job. But I want to, I, I, I've been preparing probably probably a loaf of bread about every other day, about every other day, two days. Um, and let me tell you, it ain't going to waste. It's, uh, well, it's going to somebody's waste, but it ain't, it's, it's not, it's not having time to mildew or mold, right? And, uh, but one of the things that I'm always trying to, okay, you, there's a couple of different elements that go along with making a loaf of sourdough. I mean, there's a lot of complexity to it, but the two elements of, that make up bread are crust and crumb crust and crumb, right? The crumb is the center part. The crust is obviously the outside of it. And, uh, and so in, the, in my efforts to, uh, to uh, find and, and create this perfect loaf of uh, artisan sourdough bread, um, I've decided that my, my, crumb, my crust was good, but my crumb needed some work. So uh, if I can, let's see, we got, a, we got a picture up here for me of some sourdough. Okay, so what I want to point out to you is that one, one of the things that's unique about sourdough is these, is the, in the crumb, this open crumb. You see all those? Um, uh, sourdough uh, has uh, controls basically two elements in in a bake. It controls the taste and it controls the texture. Um, just any old kind of yeast bread wouldn't have an open crumb like that. It would be more more spongy, and and all of the little holes would be uniform, right? That's what makes for good sandwich bread because that's why you know all the jelly doesn't fall through the holes, right? So you got to have you got to have both kinds in your life. And some of you have sworn off bread, and I pray for you. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Um, but uh, anyway, so, so my bread uh, at home didn't have as much of this open crumb. And, and the way that you uh, kind of get at that is got to change up your recipe a little bit. So I went to a, a higher hydration, which means you, you just have more saturation of water, just like it sounds. And that gets the, the, that gets the crumb to open it up, but it also makes the dough very, very sticky. 
all of that kind of stuff. But the point being uh, that when you look at this sourdough, what you're looking at is you're seeing a, a very active starter that caused it to rise. And then the, all of those, uh, all of that open crumb is, a, is a, a sign that there's been something there that was effervescent. It was that carbon dioxide. It was the, it was the gassing of, of, that, uh, of that starter uh, that caused that, those open uh, areas in the bread, right? Um, it's, it's the sign that something was alive. It's the sign that something was effervescent. It's the sign that something uh, was bubbly on the inside. And, and as it were, that, that loaf doesn't actually collapse. It makes it really springy um, and it bounces back. And it, like when you, go to a, when you go to a Panera and you get a baguette and it's got a nice, you know, it's got a nice firm crust to it and it's chewy and all that kind of, are you hungry yet? Um, so in your family, I, I want to talk to you about this idea of what's alive on the inside. It's joy. The joy of the Lord has got to be alive on the inside. Laughter in the kitchen, uh, to me, speaks of this idea that there's, there's life in the family. There's, there's something going on. Um, you know, you don't, get, you don't get that open uh, uh, crumb like that and that sourdough if there hasn't been an active starter working on, uh, the, on the whole process, making it rise, making it stir up. And in your life in mind, um, you, you can't just interject that. Like you can't take some kind of a, a, a tube with air pressure and blow it into the bread. That's not what, no, you've got to set the atmosphere. You've got to create that. You've got to put the elements in place. And then when the elements are all in place, then, then those, uh, those uh, little effervescent bubbles begin to bubble up. And so I want to talk to you today about what that looks like in your family. When was the last time you measured the amount of laughter in your home? When did, you, when did you take a sheet and count the number of times that there was just laughter exchange between husband and wife, between uh, the kids? It's an indicator. It's an indicator, just like the open crumb on the sourdough. It's an indicator that there's life bubbling up. If there's not laughter in your home, you need to stop and check yourself. And I'm not just saying laughter in your home because you saw some funny memes. I'm, I'm not just talking about, you know, you've watched uh, uh, old reruns of Seinfeld. I'm talking about uh, laughter in your home that comes from the presence of everything's right in my soul. Things are right in my heart. Things are right in my relationships with one another. The laughter in the kitchen is an indication that things are as they should be. And the, the absence of laughter, the absence of that joy could be an indicator that something needs to be altered, that there, you're in a season that you need to, and I'm not saying you're not going to go through seasons that are tough. I'm not saying that we're not in a season right now that's difficult for, for laughter to develop, but laughter alone is just often related to circumstances, but total lapse of it for a great length of time could be an indicator that something's not where it needs to be down on the inside of, of your soul and down on the inside of what, what it is that God wants to do on the inside of you. So let's go into the notes, and I'm going to break this down for you. We're going to be in the book of Nehemiah today, Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 8, fascinating chapter uh, that describes a revival in uh, the, the people of God. In uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 5, Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. 
Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, uh, Akub, uh, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, uh, Kalita, Azariah, Jazbad, Hanan, and Peliah. Go ahead, you can do it better next time than me. Um, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Now, you and I know the story of Nehemiah as it relates to Nehemiah's wall. Nehemiah has, is moved uh, because the people uh, had this, uh, the temple, I believe, was in place, but the walls had not been built, and the people were in reproach. So wild animals could come and go, enemies could come and go, and, and so Nehemiah saw this and said, we've got to do something about this, and so he goes to his king. Uh, the king says, I can tell that you're sad. Tell me what that's about, and Nehemiah goes down and he rallies the people to get the wall built up. There are several different places. I love the book of Nehemiah uh, because it has so many different layers of, of how God works in the life of his people. Uh, that wall, you know, in, uh, walls in our day kind of get, a, get a, a political rap. This wasn't a political rap. This was these people were not safe. And, uh, and so they needed, they needed safety, just like you wouldn't, uh, you know, leave your doors wide open and your windows wide open and let whatever fly in that wanted to fly in. Uh, there, was, there was a level of protection, but there was also a level of identity for the people. We are the people of God, and, uh, and as God is protecting us, we have a wall around us protecting us, and we have our identity as to who he is. The gates of the city were important because elders would come and sit at the city gates. They didn't have a courthouse uh, to decide things but elders would gather at the gates and they would make determinations on the law as it related to what was going on in the lives of the people. They would settle issues. Well, if you don't have walls, you don't have gates. If you don't have gates, you don't have, you know, you, you don't have decisions being made uh, for righteousness. And so all of these things had to do with uh, the building of these walls. So the walls were done and everything's wrapped up. And, and what does Nehemiah do? But he connects with Ezra the scribe, and Ezra comes out, and they build a platform, and they put Ezra up high on the platform so everybody could, could see him. And then for a solid week, the people stood for five to six hours a day, and he would read the book of the law, which would have been the Pentateuch, the first five books that we have, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and those books would have been read in their entirety, and the people were weeping because they were hearing the words of God. They were hearing the word of the Lord. They were hearing God talk to them, and as God talked to them, they recognized that God is working in our midst. God is caring for us. God is looking after us, and they began to weep. 
I don't know if you've had those moments in your life where you, you just heard the voice of the Lord. Maybe it was while you, was, you were reading the, the scriptures. And, and as you were reading the scriptures, it's something just jumped out to you. And you said, that's for right now. That's for me. That's, this, this is the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And you didn't think about the translation. You didn't think about how many hands this had gone through. You didn't think about how old it was. That word was just as fresh as if it had come from the very lips of Jesus at that moment for you. And so, you know, that touches us deep down on the inside, right? It's a, it's a, sup, uh, a super rational moment. It's uh, maybe even trans-rational. It goes beyond your thinking and, and pierces your heart and lets you know that God cares about you. He knows your name. He knows the numbers of your hair on your head. He knows everything about you. God spoke to me. This is what the people were experiencing. But in the midst of that, Nehemiah says, hey, Stop crying. It's not a day to grieve. We're glad that you're experiencing the goodness of God, but God wants you to know this is a sacred day. The walls are now established. Your identity is a people. God's speaking to you, but he doesn't want you to be downcast. He wants you to be filled with joy. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. In your notes, this passage describes this culmination event. People didn't feel threatened for their lives any longer. Wild animals couldn't roam freely. Houses and businesses were safe. Identity was now intact. Teamwork and God's favor had made the whole thing happen. Notice with me several things that the people uh, were weeping because they understood the word of God. Can I tell you just for a minute that uh, one of the things that I uh, personally measure when I come to the house of the Lord, we have a lot of metrics that we look at, but one of the things that I personally measure is how many times I see people with tears in their eyes while we're worshiping or while the, the preaching is happening. God, who are you touching today? And if I see a lot of dry eyes, I begin to press in because I'm not seeing what it is that I want to see. I want to see people experiencing the presence of God. I, it, the Bible is more than a self-help book. The Bible is more than a, uh, than a good luck charm. The Bible is more. The word of the Lord is more. And you and I need to get a hold of the word down on the inside to where it touches us. Tears are a sign that God is at work, right? And so the entrance of the word brings light. When we hear the word clearly, it should touch us. Every part of us, even our emotions. You, you say, well, I don't want to be emotional driven. No, I don't want you to be emotionally driven either. I want you to be uh, driven by the Word. I want you to be driven by the Spirit or moved by the Spirit, called by the Spirit. But if your emotions are not engaged, that's a sign of something too, right? So it was a special day uh, set aside by God and affirmed by the leaders. Joy was commanded. Isn't that interesting? Joy was commanded and the people obeyed. Joy was accompanied by fantastic food. I like the way the King James says it. There it says, uh, drink the sweet and eat the fat. Isn't that interesting? Wow, I'd get them in trouble with the FDA, wouldn't it? And, uh, but this was the word of the Lord. You know, this was a, it was a celebration that involved food. Uh, how many of you during the 40-day fast, you found it hard to celebrate? Like, what's the point of getting together? We can't eat. We're going to sit around and look at each other and say, man, I can see your ribs. You know, I mean, you know, it's, it, what's, what's, there, there's not a lot of joy when there's not food. And, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's wrong. Obviously, there's, this, there's something about what's going on. Can I tell you, when we have food together, it is, a, it is a declaration that life should go on because food is necessary to life. 
So we're making a, a claim. We're making a declaration. Life should go on. This is sustaining to me physically. It's also sustaining the mission of God. Because if, I'm, if, I'm, uh, if I have to tap out because I haven't eaten for 60 days, right? <laughs> I've gone, been translated to, uh, to glory. You know, what, what's going on? The mission of God in my life is continued by that food, right? And, and so uh, one preacher said it this way, and I love this. Food is people glue. You want to glue people together? Get them eating together. It's biblical. Hospitality. In fact, there's an exhortation of Jesus when he said, when you go into a new place, eat what is set before you. I've eaten some crazy stuff overseas. Some stuff I didn't know what it was. One time I was in Vietnam, and, and they, they put in front of me what, what uh, they said was chicken, but it had four legs. I said, I've never seen a chicken with four legs. Found out later it was called field rat. Field rat. And, uh, you know, and uh, the guy, the pastor who had served it said, oh, he said, my kids actually love field rat more than they love chicken. He said, I, I've got my own 11 herbs and spices. Don't even ask. I don't know. It was good. And I didn't die. Um, joy was accompanied by fantastic food. Joy and food were to be spread to even to those who were unprepared. You know, God in the midst of our celebration of joy, it, he doesn't want us to keep it to ourselves. He wants us to spread joy. Maybe it could be that we'd be more effective evangelists if we'd throw better parties. If we'd have get-togethers that just celebrated life and sourdough bread and barbecue. I kind of think God's into barbecue. You know, think about all of the, think about all of the bulls that were sacrificed and the lambs that were sacrificed. Uh, what do you think it smelled like uh, around, uh, you know, around the, uh, around the temple, you know, uh, around the tabernacle? Well, it smelled like, it smelled like grilled meat. You know, there was constant smoke going on there. I mean, yeah. Do you think we ought to put that in the center of the camp? Absolutely. We'll go there. We'll celebrate there, you know. And, uh, and so this issue of joy uh, bubbling up on the inside of you is a sign that the presence of the Word of God is happening down on the inside of you. Jesus said it this way, until now, you haven't asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be full or your joy will be complete. You know, the, the idea of, okay, I'm, I'm not just reading the Word, but now I'm acting on the Word and now I'm praying and I'm watching God answer prayer in my world, that causes joy to rise up on the inside. It means that, you know, there needs to be some laughter in your kitchen. Galatians 5 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. In other words, uh, what he's saying is these things ought to be present in your life if the Holy Spirit is in your life. Now, when we first uh, get saved, we're going to act pretty carnal. We're going to act like we did before we came to know Jesus. Just because you come to know Jesus on Sunday doesn't mean you're going to act like Billy Graham on Monday. Right? There's, there's got to be some development time that happens. But if the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you, and he is when you ask Jesus into your heart, he's going to start digging up and, and, and creating his fruit trees down on the inside of your life. And pretty soon, you're going to see the, the fruit of the tree. Joy is one of those fruit. Psalm 1611, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. 
1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Psalm 32 is is an exhortation to us. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. That's a command to you, church. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. Do you know what that word rejoice, the, the literal, the etymology, the word meaning, the word picture is to rejoice means to jump up and spin wildly. Like you were at a club. Some of y'all were amazing at the club. And then you got saved. And you thought, I can't act like that anymore. No, to rejoice means that, you know, when you got saved, that just means you changed dancing partners. Now you're dancing with the Lord. Now you're celebrating because you got a reason to celebrate. You're, right? The joy of the Lord down on the inside of you bubbling up. You know, and so he says, rejoice in the Lord and be glad. Sing all you who are upright in heart. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Come on, i give you the opportunity. That's your part. Jump in there. I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. Yeah. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Let's get down to this joy recipe. Let's break this down. Um, uh, First and foremost, have you really heard the word deep down in your heart? One of the challenges, remember, remember the story or the parable of the sower. Uh, where Jesus tells the, the, the parable of the sower and how that the, the seed uh, that's talked about in the parable is the word, right? And so the word falls on a path. It's a hard-packed path, and the enemy comes like a bird and comes and snatches it away, right? The second part of that is that it falls on this shallow soil, right? doesn't have much root. And so the, the seed springs up for a short amount of time, but because of persecution, comes. Do you really believe that Jesus is Lord? How can God be real? Look at all the evil in the world. Somebody comes and communicates that to a new believer that doesn't really have much root. Persecution comes because of the word and and then the, the word just dies out right? They don't stick. They don't last. Well, then there's the one that the, the seed is sown uh, and there, there are weeds in there with it. There are thorns and thistles in there. And it begins to grow, but then the weeds of compromise, the weeds of the cares of this life begin to, uh, begin to choke it out. It doesn't have everything it needs. It gets choked out as a result. Can I tell you, too much news will choke out the word. Too much negativity about the people around you, that's going to choke out the word. Too much negativity in your home. Too much uh, not, not being mindful of where people are at. Too much of that in your home. That's going to choke out the word. And when the word gets choked out, your joy is going to get choked out with it. Laughter is going to go down in your home. You're not going to see the effervescence work of the Holy Spirit down on the inside. Do we live in this world? Absolutely we live in this world. But don't let the world get in your heart. Don't let the world steer your joy. Don't let the world tell you and dictate to you your attitude because your attitude uh, belongs to the Lord, right? So you and I have to be those people that say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I, my joy level's kind of low. I think I need to spend a little, a little less time with the news and a little more time uh, with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? Um, I, we, 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 start to, uh, we start to realize that during different seasons of our lives, we gotta pay attention to what's going on in our own heart. And sometimes, Sometimes we need to change it up. 
You know, your, your one chapter a day habit might work fine. You know, when everything's going along smoothly, when you're not in a pandemic and there are not protests on the street corners, one chapter a day might work fine. Keep your joy level right where it is. But then all of a sudden, the pandemic hits. All of a sudden, you can't move around like you want to move around. All of a sudden, you got people on, on Facebook that you thought were good friends, and all of a sudden, they're not good friends. And, and all of this kind of stress and negativity on there, what do you got to do? Turn it down. Turn down the Facebook. Turn up the chapter and verse. Turn up the praise songs. Get, move yourself into position. Don't stay static. You are movable. You can, you can mobilize yourself to watch the joy level increase in your soul. Let me tell you, if we live at the same temperature and the same taste and the same texture as our world, we'll never change it. But if we'll get into the presence of the Lord, and we'll allow his joy to permeate every part of our being. And we'll say, you know what? I'm just going to love you. I can love you because I've been in the presence of Jesus. And he is the lover of souls. And so I learned to get in the presence of the Lord and watch that joy level increase. Then I'm the salt. Then I'm the light. Then I'm ready and prepared for what it is I need to do. Sometimes you and I are going to get called upon to do things that are going to pull you out of the, the place where is your strength. If you remember the story about Nehemiah, uh, that Nehemiah is up on the wall and the enemy comes and said, Hey, come outside. We need to have a conversation. You know, what you're going, you know, we, maybe we want to help you do what you're doing. And Nehemiah recognized that he was, he was doing a good work. He was doing exactly what God had called him to do. And he wasn't going to leave the work of God to go out and answer some naysayers. Are you with me? But you and I in our walk, we've got to maintain our level of joy. That is the good work that God has called us to do. We, by, by you checking your own level of joy, um, you can make adjustments internally, and then you and I are positioned to do the thing that God's called us to do out in this world where he wants us to live. That is the place where we are salt and light. That is the place where we are uh, providing what is necessary you know, for such a time as this. So are you aligning your life with what God says to do? It's so important for us to do that, to constantly check. Um, this uh, yesterday we were uh, in prayer here I think we're in Hebrews chapter 2 where the word talks about how that um, uh, we know that everything is under the feet of Jesus but right now we don't see everything under the feet of Jesus that's we we see the corruption of our world we see the pain of our world we see all of this desperation in our world and and the scripture points us to the fact that but we see Jesus but we see Jesus Um, you and I have to clearly see him. We've got to bring ourselves back in and recalibrate. He is our true north. He is, uh, you know, we've got to point toward him and say, see clearly, Jesus, I, I need to see you right now. I love how we did that today and our declarations and our songs. You know, he is the way maker. This is who he is. This is, He never changes. This is who he is. We've, we fix our eyes on him. We set the, the crosshairs of our life on Jesus and we say we're going to move in his direction. We're going to allow him to be uh, be uh, the one that's changing us on the inside. Last part of the joy recipe, and then we're going to pray. How much joy and laughter is there in your living room, your kitchen, your bedroom? How much joy and laughter is there? What does God want to do in your life to increase the level of joy? 
What does he want to do uh, to cause laughter to begin to uh, ring out in your relationships, in your home? Can I tell you that this, the, the home is so important, even now in this day more than ever? The, the, the future is being formed around your dining room table. You're, you're creating a microcosm of a world sitting in your kitchen. And, and, and the basis for that, the strength of that, is what's going to bring change to our culture and to our world. It's never going to happen because we're smarter. It's never going to happen because we, we have more control at some level of government. It's only going to happen when, when we organically understand that the level of joy in my life affects the people around me because the word happening on the inside of me produces that joy. Can we stand this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus, we just come before you today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to us. We ask you to talk to us, Lord, from your word. Show us, Lord, the things that, that you're talking to us about that we can begin to reposition ourselves. We want to see joy bubble up on the inside of us like never before. We want to see laughter in our kitchen again. We want to see laughter in our living room. Lord, our life is way too serious. Our lives are filled with difficult circumstances, and yet none of those things catch you off guard. You've called us to be people of joy. You've called us to be people that allow the word of the Lord to work deeply into the fabric and the fiber of our being so that our taste and our texture are colored from heaven. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus right now that you would do a work in every heart in life, in every home, God. Lord, let your love begin to bubble up through us like never before. Help us, Lord, to recognize the signs of the times and to be extra loving, to put some extra love into the recipe of our conversation, extra joy into the recipe of our conversation, into our family recipe. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you right now in Jesus' name, Lord, for all that you want to do, ministering powerfully through us that we might critique by creating wonderful homes, homes filled with joy in a world that's filled with hate. Lord, we thank you that we can be part of the solution by allowing you to have your way on the inside of us today in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus.